0: What's up everyone and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's episode is a good one. We've got Dr. Corey Rosen on the program. If you don't know Corey, get ready because this conversation is stretching into new territory. Corey's an author, speaker, and the founder of the National Center for Employee Ownership. He's one of the world's leading experts on employee ownership and we're gonna talk about what that could mean for you and your organizations. He's a great person, this conversation was super informative, and I think you're gonna dig it. So buckle up TC beers, grab your favorite cocktail and let's get right on into it with Dr. Corey Rosen on today's TCB.
1: Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now, pull up a stool,
0: belly up to the bar, and join us for the Corporate Bartender. Well, welcome, everybody. It's Wednesday. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It is the 18th of January, 2023. This is the 156th time that we've gotten together. And uh, today's going to be a good one. We've got a guest. You'll see the, the stranger up in, a, up in your Brady Bunch view. This is Dr. Corey Rosen. He's the founder of the National Center for Employee Ownership. And he just wrote a book called Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What. And that sounds like a pretty tall order to me, but we've been talking about it as we teased his appearance over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's an interesting conversation to be had about employee ownership. Uh, I've worked for uh, organizations in which I've owned a stake um, in the past and uh, started my own businesses. And it's a, it's a, it's a game changer as it relates to employees and employee commitment and uh, motivations and who get, who gets, who gets a piece of the pie. If that pie is a good one in the pre-show Corey and I were talking about startups and I've been a member of, of a few. And uh, we talked about you know how startups tend to go one of two ways: either you buy a boat and a private island and live out the rest of your life happy and carefree um, or you lay everybody off and do it again with less money in your bank account than you started. so it's an interesting prospect here. The big idea is just thinking about you I mean we've got an engagement issue with folks we're dealing with things like quiet quitting and the great resignation. People are insecure about their wealth. Um, Corey talks a lot about social distrust and how that factors into this. Um, today's employees are, they're, they're struggling with, with this engagement notion with capitalism in general. And uh, you know, we've talked about it from a DE&I perspective here. The, uh, the the disparity between the the haves and the have-nots and that's been sort of under the microscope over the last couple of years so let's welcome dr cory rosen to the program everybody dances in cory that's how we do it
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> before we get into the interview i want to just for the folks uh who are not here today but who will see this on video you guys know I'm gonna keep asking because I'm a pain in the ass buy the book if you haven't bought the book we were talking about it in the pre-show Chuck and Laurel actually like it so I mean I'm gonna call that a win <laughs> it's a big win that we don't often get um feedback on the book is 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 good we've we've gotten some some notices over the last couple of days we got an email today from a from a client we haven't seen in a while that bought the book and it's it's nice it's nice to get those messages when people read the book and they find utility in it they find things that they can use to help make their lives better and that's really what it's all about um we've got some guests upcoming we're gonna have next week on the program john robertson author of run toward the roar transform crisis and change into the opportunity to thrive he is a workforce wellness and cultural alignment specialist and along with what we were talking about yesterday about culture work and, and what the hell is that? Anyway, um, we're going to, we're going to hit John with some of the tough questions about culture work in general. That's next week. This week, you see him here, Dr. Corey Rosen. So Corey, oh, there's Lori. I'm going to let her in. Then I don't have to watch the door anymore. So she can co-host. So Corey, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out with us today. As I mentioned in the open, Corey's the, the founder of the National Center of Employee Ownership and the author of this book here, Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What. Um, Corey, before we get into this book and these concepts, I imagine that when you were but a child, you didn't imagine that this was where you would be today, the experts in employee ownership. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you find yourself here with us today.
3: I started as a political science professor in 1975, and I did that for a couple of years, decided that that was a game I'd rather play than watch. And I got a fellowship from the American Political Science Association to work on Capitol Hill. I went there in 1976 and ended up eventually to, uh, working for the Senate Small Business Committee. And at that point, I read about this idea of employee ownership. Employee ownership, what's that? Yeah, what is and that? <laughs> I will explain. And uh, I thought, that's a really fascinating idea. And I want to get more involved in this. And so I I did get more involved. I went to my boss. My boss was fortunately okay with my working on it, ended up drafting some legislation that's now law on this. And after a few years doing that, decided this was an idea that more people would be interested in if they knew how to do it. They knew where they could find the resources to do it. They knew what the different ways to do it were. And we needed to find out, does this really work or not? Is this something we should be promoting or is this just a bad idea and I should go do something else? <laughs> and if it does work, what makes it work well and what makes it work poorly? So went down to my basement, said this is the National Center for Employee Ownership <laughs> and hoped for the best. Uh, it took three years for me to pay myself. uh, But today we have uh, 19 staff people around the country. We're fully virtual, about 2,700 members. We're expecting about 2,000 people to our annual conference in Kansas City in Chicago. So fortunately, the organization has grown and thrived. It is entirely supported by the work we do, not by grants, foundations, that sort of thing. And we're a membership organization. We have about 2,700 members. And if you're interested in finding out about that, go to our website at the National Center for Employee Ownership, and and you can see what we do. Lots of books, lots of webinars, lots of everything on every kind of information on this.
0: That's awesome. What's the hook for NCEO? Why why do companies
3: join your organization? companies join either because they already have a plan Mm -hmm. and they want to make sure that they're doing what they should be doing, not just legally, but financially, culturally. We spend a lot of time on the culture issues of employee ownership, which I can very quickly sum up in one line, which is the the first line of another book I wrote called Beyond Engagement. And that, that line says, It's simple. The best companies are the ones that generate the most ideas from the most people about the most things. And the question is, how do you make that happen? Because simply allowing or even encouraging employees to do it with open door management, every company in the world has open door management. There's no such thing as a closed door policy. Even encouraging it, much less just permitting it doesn't get you there. You need structures of employee involvement. So we talk a lot about that. So companies join for those reasons. They join to network. And then a whole other group of companies join because they're trying to figure out, should we do this at all? And if we do it, do we do an ESOP? Do we do equity grants? What's the best way to do this? What are the tax issues? What are the rules? That sort of thing.
0: Awesome. I love it. Um, you know, I thought this would be an interesting topic for for our our listeners because, like I said in pre-show, most of us work in or around HR, and this is the conversation that I think a lot of HR people think about, but we don't necessarily know how to bring it up or or where to take the conversation from the initial. Hey, have we thought about doing any sort of employee ownership plan here? Um in your book, you argue that ownership is broken. And I was kind of looking to tie those two things together. What is what do you mean by that ownership is broken? And how do we as HR people help to fix that?
3: Yeah. So what we argue in the book is that there are a few different common ways to own businesses in the US right now. Of course, there's public companies, they're only about 4500, but they employ um, 40 some percent of the workforce. And of course, they're a major part mm-hmm. of the economy. And what do we mean by ownership in a public company? If you go buy stock in Alphabet, are you an owner of Alphabet? <laughs> and we argue really what you are is more akin to someone betting on a horse at the racetrack. Right. You're hoping that the stock will go up and you'll sell it if it does. But you're not an owner in the sense that you're investing your money in Alphabet. In fact, Alphabet and virtually every other public company doesn't use much of that money for growth. Very little of corporate growth is financed by the stock market, 5% maybe.
2: Hmm.
3: Uh, The rest is retained earnings and debt. After all, equity is an expensive way to raise capital then you've got institutional owners mm-hmm. and these institutional owners are even less owners than you are because <laughs> you might hold on to your stock for months or years most institutional owners trade their stock with algorithms and that stock is maybe held for for microseconds literally huh so if i'm in the ceo of a company a public company my typical Tenure is five years. That's the median tenure of a CEO of a public company. And the pressure on me is quarter to quarter or less earnings. So one thing that's wrong with that system is it focuses a short-term on short-term folk on a short-term issue. And secondly, the wealth ownership of those companies is extraordinarily concentrated. Second form of ownership is private equity, which is even more concentrated. Now they have a little bit different time horizon. They look to buy and sell companies within three to seven years. So a little longer, but not much. So those two systems constitute over half of the asset ownership in the US. And neither of them is focused on the long-term, number one. And neither of them provides ownership beyond, for the most part, the top 1% of the population or less.
0: So it's a game we can't even get in on.
3: Yeah. So why is this a problem aside from that long-term focus? Well, in the early 1970s, until the 1970s, when capital investment grew, wages grew, That had been the case in free market economies ever since there were free market economies. That relationship got broken a lot of reasons, globalization, the pace of capital, investment change, technological change, so that from 1973 till today, real wages have actually slightly declined. But real wealth attributable to ownership has grown at 8% per year since 1973. The Dow had three digits in 1973, and now it has five. Ownership has continued to concentrate more and more and more. Three families, three families own more wealth than 40% of the rest of the population.
0: Wow, I'm going to take a wild guess here. I'm assuming one of those families is a a name ending in Walton?
3: Walton, yeah, that's one of them. (laughs) So if you look at what the problems of that are, the people who are earning a living are finding it harder and harder to keep up. Because while their real wages haven't gone up, some of the real core costs to them have gone up. We've seen, of course, dramatic increases in healthcare costs and education particularly. And so people, 50% of the population, in fact, can't put its hands on $1,000 in emergency. Most of the population doesn't have enough money in all likelihood to retire very securely. Sending your kids to college has become an enormous problem, enormous debt (laughs) now associated with that. And tremendous insecurity that comes from this feeling of, of not having much wealth. So the question is, well, if that's a problem, how do you fix it? And of course, you <laughs> fix it by getting more wealth to people. Well, the traditional left-wing solution is, well, you tax people and mm-hmm. you distribute that to everybody else. Whatever you think of the virtues of that, it's not politically very practical. Mm-hmm because you're never gonna be able to tax people enough and get enough political support for doing it. So it's kind of a political dead end. The conservative approach is, well, let's just get rid of regulations and reduce taxes. And we've tried that one too. (laughs) And that hasn't worked out very well, at least not in terms of generating more wealth for people, more wealth for the economy. Sure, But not a wealth that's distributed very well. So how do you make people owners? Well, they can't go buy stock. They don't have the money. So Louis Kelso, who invented the concept of employee stock ownership plans or ESOPs, he said, well, you know, when somebody buys a company, they usually borrow money. Mm-hmm. They buy the company and they pay it back out of the future earnings that that company generates. And why would you buy a company? If you didn't think that was going to happen? That You're making a pretty dumb investment. (laughs) He said, Well, what if the employees wanted to do that? Well, they couldn't. Because they couldn't get the loan because they don't have collateral. Mm. So to solve that problem, oops, somehow my camera went off. Sorry. No worries. I don't know why that happened. (laughs) All on its own. To solve that problem, Kelso said, companies could agree to provide the collateral, company would borrow the money, it would purchase its shares, and pay for them out of the future tax-deductible earnings of the company. We will encourage companies to do this through a variety of tax incentives that have accumulated, as it turns out, between 1974 and 1997. So the question becomes, well, did it pass my two tests? One is, does it work? Does it actually solve the problem it's intended to solve? And secondly, is it politically practical? Is it something that isn't just some nostrum? Most of the time you read books about how to change the economy. They're the, if I ruled the world version. (laughs) And of course, the authors don't rule the world and they come up with perfect solutions that are politically impractical. And there's usually a paragraph at the end saying, this is probably not doable now, but we need to start with big ideas to try to help people move in this direction. And that never happens, almost. (laughs) So politically practical, you bet it is. Every single bill on employee ownership, and there are 17 of them, has passed unanimously. Interesting. There are now state legislation. There's state legislation on employee ownership. Same thing. They all pass without opposition. Interesting. It, recently, Tommy Tuberville and Elizabeth Warren were on Ooh, the same I can't imagine sponsor. agreeing on anything. <laughs> right. They agreed on an employee ownership provision in the Defense Act. Uh, Ronald Reagan, Ted Kennedy. So it has this universal political support. That in itself should make us pay attention. (laughs) But it does work. The the, The main form of employee ownership, not the only form, but the main form are ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans, which I can explain. It's a very particular way to do this and very tax advantage. And the participants in these plans have three times the retirement assets. The companies grow two and a half percent per year faster. They lay people off at one-third to one-fifth the rate of other companies and their retention, this is something that HR people should sit up and notice, their retention rate is 70% better. Seven-zero percent.
0: Seven-zero.
3: Holy moly. So yeah it's working now of course there are examples where it doesn't work sure where companies fail but for the most part these companies have been extraordinarily successful and just one last piece of data the default rate on loans used for companies to fund esops is two per thousand per year hmm. so it's really worked and there's so passes, about 14 million participants. Excuse me?
0: It passes both of your tests.
3: Passes both the tests with flying colours. And so my frustration, John Case and me are my co-authors' frustration, is hey, here's a big problem everybody's talking about. Here's a solution that's politically feasible and it actually works. Why aren't people doing it? Why aren't people talking? Even why aren't even people talking about it? Yeah.
0: So that's a great, that's a great question. So if somebody was a benefactor of listening to this conversation and they go, Oh, I'm a head of HR. I'm going to go talk to my CEO about this. How do you broker that conversation? What, if I'm going to go in there and and, and put this on the table, what do I lead with Corey?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, tell me in your audience, how many of you, you could just raise your hand or your virtual hand with a little chat, the little symbol there and their reactions. How many of you work for closely held companies?
0: I work for, um, I work for Morag Barrett. She holds it all. Okay. <laughs>
3: it's very close. <laughs> and how about public companies? So some of you don't work for companies, one for public companies, what I, Lori works I'm, for a nonprofit,
2: I'm not for profit,
3: a nonprofit. Okay. And Chuck's a lawyer. He works for the devil. All right. <laughs> so, nonprofits—it's trickier because there's nothing yeah. down. Yeah,
2: yeah. But, that's never been on. I've only worked for nonprofits my entire career, so I'm, okay. I'm totally out in left field when it comes to these.
3: <laughs> so it really depends on who you're who you're talking to. If, if it's a closely held company this notion of the employee stock ownership plan is really appealing, potentially. If it's a close sale company with at least 20 employees and it's profitable, and you have owners who are thinking, one day I'm going to want to move on, maybe one day soon even, or maybe there's multiple owners and one of us wants to move on, the rest of us would like to stick around. How do I do that? Well, I could Mm -hmm. sell to a consolidator, I could sell to a competitor, I could sell to private equity. But there are downsides to those. They typically come with contingencies. Mm -hmm. And it often means that at least some of the people who work for me won't keep their jobs. Maybe a lot. Right. Maybe the company will move. Maybe the values that we've embedded in the company will change. You'll be promised that none of that will happen, by the way. In
0: every m In that's... every
3: case. You're absolutely <laughs> every case. Uh, but that's typically, and sometimes that's true, but, but too often it's not true. Uh, yeah. So how would an ESOP help? Well, under the law, what happens is the company sets up a trust, the same kind of trust that other retirement plans, like 401k plans, use. Uh, but this trust, unlike those plans, is funded by the company out of its future tax-deductible profits. So essentially, what's happening is the company is redeeming the shares of the owner. Normally, when you do a redemption, it is not a tax deduction. So, And that's another way that owners get out, because they just redeem the stock. But let's say I have a $3 million company. I will need about $4.5 million in profits to have $3 million left over to buy my $3 million worth of stock. But with an ESOP, you only need $3 million because it's all pre-tax money. So that's a big deal. Secondly, if I do this following certain rules that aren't difficult to meet, then I can take the gain that I've made, reinvest it in stocks and bonds of US companies, and defer any tax on the gain until I sell those new investments. You can't do that legally any other way. And third, if after we've done all this, we either are convert to an S corporation or we're 100% owned by an ESOP, we don't pay any taxes. Hmm. And that's not a loophole. That's the law.
0: That's the law. Yeah.
3: The employees, everybody who's worked there for a thousand hours in a year becomes a participant in the plan They get allocations of stock as the company acquires the shares. And those allocations are subject to vesting. And when they leave the company, the company buys the shares back from them. So you can finance these plans by borrowing money from a bank. You can use seller notes, or you can just make periodic contributions to the plan to fund the plan and buy the shares gradually so that's that's what you do if you wanted to buy the owner out well maybe you don't want to buy the owner out they're not ready maybe it's a startup or a smaller company Mm -hmm. then you're looking more you know sort of thing you had eric where the company gives you restricted stock which basically says here's some shares Mm -hmm. but you don't get them until x happens like you've worked here for a certain number of years or stock appreciation rights, or stock options. Or we often find, and I often recommend to companies, that they use synthetic equity, which says you're not going to get the actual shares, you're going to get the equivalent value of the shares or the value of the increase in the shares. The advantage of having literal shares is that for some people, and I uh, underline some because it's a minority, For some people, there are potential tax benefits if they are actual shares in that. You may be able to get capital gains treatment on what happens when you sell them. Most people, it won't matter, either because they don't make enough money or they don't meet the rules that you're required to meet to get that capital gains treatment. And so what happens is I exercise my restricted stock grant or stock appreciation right or whatever, and I get a check for that. So I don't, I don't, my ownership is really ephemeral. So why bother with the ownership at all? Just, you know, give me the equivalent value. And that's what synthetic equity does. And it's, it's often, and especially if you're an LLC, it can avoid some, some unpleasant traps that you, your employees can fall into when they're considered owners, not employees, and then they have to pay all their own Social Security and Medicare tax and they don't qualify right. for health care and other things like that. So, you know, for many people, that's a better way to do it. If you're a public company. It's more difficult if you're at HR because you got to <laughs> get to the decision maker and say, hey, we should share ownership with the employees. Um, but if you can get in on that conversation, there are, as I've said, a lot of data indicating that companies do well on all the various dimensions of doing well. I
0: love, I love that that there's the resource, there's a the place, the NCEO, where we can get some of this data to have these conversations. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it from the employee side. We hear a lot of words like this and, you know, depending on the industry and what what the organization is trying to do, not everybody is super financially savvy. And we hear things like ESOP and stock options and RSUs and OSOs. And, you know, we worked, uh, I've worked in a lot of startups and we work with startups. And if from an employee perspective, Corey, could you just break down what the difference is between an ESOP and getting stock options as part of a... As part of a, a signing bonus or a part of a, a comp scheme in a startup,
3: well, you wouldn't see very many ESOPs in startups because there are substantial costs to setting the plan up. So, they would be really rare to for that to happen. So, you're like, you're going to get where would some that happen
0: in the there. in the life cycle of the organization? Like, the startup has been around for X number of years and has Y number of employees. When does that There's make sense?
3: Twenty employees and profitable. Okay. And then you're probably a candidate for doing an ESOP. Okay. And from the employee standpoint, if you get equity grants, they tend to be, they vest over maybe three years or so, and then you have the right to exercise them after the point where they're vested or a few years after that, depending on how it's structured. And in almost all these cases, the way that they're going to have any value is that somebody buys your company.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Some private companies will buy the shares back, but most of the time, you're waiting for somebody to buy you. And and of course, some people are waiting to go public, which happens very, 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 very rarely, but people think will happen much more often than it does. (laughs) If it's an ESOP, it's more like the way retirement plans work, you will accumulate shares every year you work for the company until you leave the company.
0: So it's just a factor of the passage of time.
3: Yeah, every year, more shares will be allocated to you in an ESOP. So a typical ESOP participant in a closely held company over 20 years, we'll get four to six times salary mm. in, in a distribution from the ESOP.
0: That's a, that's a pretty powerful rule of thumb.
3: It's a big number. Yeah, the, the, the mean account balance is $134,000, but that includes people who've worked for 30 years and, three, and people who've worked for three months. Right.
0: So if we're gonna embark upon this journey and, and, and do this, this ESOP, um, how hard is it to start? I mean, it sounds like any other I, governmental program. I, I was the administrator of, of several 401k programs and that was a big pain in the ass. How, how hard is this to make happen, Corey?
3: Well, ESOPs are subject to a lot of rules in return for all those tax benefits and so you're going to need a lawyer and a trustee and an appraiser and a plan administrator and the initial costs of these can be anywhere from a hundred thousand to several hundred thousand dollars to set them up the tax benefits will more than pay for that but that's why you don't see them in startups you know they're just Mm -hmm. just too expensive if you're doing an equity compensation grant program, you'll, need, you'll still need a lawyer and your accountant's going to have to deal with it. You may need an appraisal done annually. And you might probably, you probably want some kind of advisor to help you figure out how to do it. But there you might be looking at $20,000, dollars $40,000 in the initial costs of, of setting the plan up getting the grant agreements written and all that sort of thing. So
0: if, if, if we're a company and we're, we're thinking about this concept of employee ownership and we like, that, yeah, that's a good idea, the stats look really good, um, but I don't know where to start. Where do people go to start? Can they go to the National Center for Employee Ownership?
3: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we have on our website a lot of basic articles that explain how these things work there's research data, um, and then if after you've looked at those basic articles, say, well, that that's something I want to explore more. We have, I think, it's 38 different titles that we we write mostly on different aspects of employee ownership. So there's books. If I'm thinking about an ESOP, I'm I'm an LLC, and I want to give equity grants. That, I'm not an LLC, but I want to give equity grants. So there's, there are books that go through the accounting and the tax law and how you decide who gets what and under what rules. And that's just kind of walks you through how to do this.
0: Do, do you also connect people with resources, attorneys, yeah, accountants? We have a service
3: this? provider directory. Excellent. We don't set up these plans. Right on,
0: right on. Um. I I think I think this is the conversation underserved. Um, what do we need to do to help evangelize this and make this idea more common?
3: Tell other people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think it's so daunting, you know. Um like we talked in the pre-show, not a lot of people side of the business people have deep financial acumen. We don't typically come out of finance programs. Uh, in school and we connect with the, the social fabric ideas of programs like this, but they seem very complicated and daunting and it feels out of, out of our lane. I think sometimes Um, what advice would you give to folks who are interested in the concepts, but feel a little overwhelmed by, you know, you said a lot of words today that some people are going to go, I don't even know what those words are, right? So how what would you advice would you give those
3: folks? Yeah, don't try to get too much into the weeds about <laughs> this is how it works. Think more about the concept of what would happen if you shared ownership with employees. You now, a lot of companies talk about we want to make our employees feel like owners and i see these articles saying give people a psychological sense of ownership that's what really matters and i want to take those people to dinner in fact (laughs) since some of you are in the denver area uh, i'll take them to edible beets you know they've got a bunch of restaurants i'll take them to edible beets you'll see why in a moment and i'll i'll let them soak up the atmosphere read the menu help make decisions help clean up afterwards But they can't eat because a sense of dinner should be sufficient, just like a sense of ownership is sufficient. (laughs) And I would take them to Edible Beets. I guess there's five restaurants they own because Edible Beets is 100% owned by its employees. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way to, to talk to people about this. And if you go to our website, well, you can just look this up on Google. The Employee Ownership 100 is the largest 100 employee-owned companies that are majority employee-owned, and you'll see some recognizable names. But talk about what's the reason to do this, that if employees really are owners, it gets them more connected to the company, it gives them more of a reason to stay, it's a good way to attract people, and there are a variety of ways to do it. Uh, and you don't need to worry so much about, well, explain to me those four ways. And just, <laughs> if you're interested in this, go to this website and you can see the different ways to do it. Awesome! Excellent. Yep. Somebody knows all. Somebody's an edible beats fan.
0: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I I, I know I know they own Root Down and Linger. I I forgot they owned L Five Chuck. That that place is awesome. Great
2: response. Yeah. Justin Cucci
0: is a great guy, and very much an advocate for what Corey's talking about. That's awesome, Chuck. From the legal side, have have you come across you know in all of your employee dealings, um, any of these ownership issues gone bad? You know I haven't. It's out of my lane though. I, I don't do any work. Um, it's tax heavy. It's not really an area in which I practice, um, and so I really appreciate the information from Dr. Rosen. Um, Haven't seen it go bad, that's for sure, in my 30 years of practicing law, but I don't work on the benefits side of of the house in this regard. Awesome. Ruby, you had a question you dropped into chat before uh, Chuck took over with his edible beads breakdown.
2: (laughs) I I was just thinking about um, if, if, Corey, you've seen any companies do a really good job of educating their employees on, you know, financial literacy and what these programs mean for them and how it differentiates their company, because right. a lot of people don't lean into this if they're not econo, you know, e- economy economists. So I was trying to t- <laughs> use the right word. Um, so just wondering if you've you've seen any companies do a really good job of that and what does it look like and. Um, because those programs are only as good as people understand yeah. the benefits.
3: Well, yeah. the employee ownership companies are very big on this issue. Most They're of them speaking it. Yeah, most of them share income statements, balance sheets, and lots of metrics with employees.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's really important to them to get people to understand it. And there's a perception that oh, well. Employees will never understand this stuff. Uh You can find a lot of males anyway who can give you very detailed explanations of sports statistics. (laughs) Economic numbers in companies are no more complicated. In fact, they're often less complicated. Hmm. So it's really patronizing to say that. Yes, it is. The company that, <laughs> thank you. The company yeah. that that pioneered this, and uh, they have a website, The Great Game of Business. There's a best-selling book, The Great Game of yeah. Business. Yeah. they hundred. The company that started it, it's now called SRC Holdings, 100 percent ESOP-owned company. The employees bought it in 1983 from what was then International Harvester. It was failing. So it was an International Arvester. That 119 employees and Jack Stack, who was then and still is amazingly the CEO, mm-hmm. said, You know, we can't afford to lose any money. And so I'm going to teach every employee how to read a balance sheet and an income statement mm-hmm. and how we make money yep. in our business. And these are guys who operate machines typically with high school education. And the result of that was that people started talking about the numbers in the company. I went there once in the late 80s. I asked this guy in the machine, what do you think the biggest problem of SRC right now is? He says, we have to improve our current ratio. <laughs> I had to go look up what our current ratio was. Uh, he had a Jack had a janitor who said to him once, you know, Jack, you keep talking about recession. I think there is a recession coming. And we we remanufacture heavy duty truck engines, recession is not going to be good for that. But what happens in a recession? People fix their cars more. We should get into rebuilding car engines. Huh. This is a janitor. Wow. Jack says, that's an interesting idea because he's the kind of guy who would do that goes to his management team and they decide to do it huh so what the great game of business and they've developed a lot of materials around this. so if you if you want to learn how to do this they are the best uh, they have really good stuff on it
0: laurel it sounds like you're familiar with that you you chipped in there a couple of times did you have anything to add there
2: yeah i was gonna write it in the chat uh right before you you moved over into the conversation um when I was doing medical device manufacturing the last time around, so we sold that company what a dozen years ago now um that was that was the book we used that was our bible, right. and uh yeah, uh, I actually led several of the the finance. Classes to teach people how to read this. So you got an HR person who's able to to talk people through the financials, and and one who uh, I count on my fingers. So that's why I liked your comment, Corey, that you know, trying to say that people can't understand this is, um, you know. It, it's condescending mm-hmm. at least mansplaining at worst. And uh, yeah, we, our whole plant understood, um, they they understood EBITDA, uh, which again, was one of those, you have to go, oh, what does all that mean?
3: Right. Um, but, <laughs> but
2: But more than that, they knew how, what they were doing every day, not only, they knew two things, how it made us money, and how it saved the lives of newborn infants.
3: Wow, great story.: Yeah. so I love
2: that. Yeah, I'm a believer. It's funny,
0: you're talking about the condescension thing, and it made me think about, since sports betting has become legal, Like mm-hmm. now, when you watch a game, like the pregame or the breakdown, there's all of these betting statistics that they assume everybody knows what it means. I have no idea what it means. And I see these things and I'm like, am I supposed to care about that? Is that something that I'm supposed to be interested in? But I just find it fascinating, just based on the comment that you guys all just made here, that in that sports world, cause Corey drew our attention to the fact that, you know, a lot of dudes know a lot of things about sports statistics. The assumption is made in, in the, we're gonna put this on TV space, everybody will get this, this complicated world of odds and betting. And, and to Corey's point, not all that dissimilar from, from financial statistics. Right. Um, and in that space, we make the assumption that people won't get it. It's too complicated. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. And I, I love this, this resource. Thank you, Corey. Any other questions? For I, Corey? I, think
2: in, I think in February, you need to teach us all how to parlay our bets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could get corey to come on and do that because i'm sure he gets it he, he's got that all figured out i am
3: sure. I don't have a clue about any of that stuff so
0: <laughs> awesome awesome any other questions as we're coming up here in our last five minutes and we're getting to get into our funny things our good feels and our cocktails and then get off to dinner going once All right. Well, Corey, thank you so much for thank being you, here Erica. with I appreciate us. i today. It. Thanks to all of you. Awesome, awesome. It was a good conversation. You know, it's it's interesting, right? Getting into conversations that get out there on the edge of of technicality. Um, I think, man, HR people need to know these things and they need to they need to be reasonably conversant in in talking about these things. And uh you know, I I I like to get out there and and get into things that are outside of our HR comfort zone. So thanks, Corey, for being here. Thank you. For sharing your insights. NCEO.org is the place to go. That is the National Center for Employee Ownership. It will give you information about all the things we talked about today. You can also find Corey's book, Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What at those fine booksellers everywhere. Awesome. So funny things today, Corey, you're welcome to hang out or you may do what you need to do.
2: Funny thing number one today.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Funny thing number one today for me, uh, this made me laugh, texted, I love you to my mom. And she said, we'll see. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, Number two, being an auntie is so fun. I just make shit up. I told my niece I have T-Mobile and t mobile don't get the right satellites to play Jojo Siwa's music. (laughs) Jojo Siwa is an artist that Mm -hmm. uh, tweens are into. And if you don't want to listen to tween music, you tell her that your cellular provider does not provide access to such things. (laughs) Funny thing number three, this is a holidays one. Which wine pairs best with finding out my in-laws are staying a day longer than I thought?
2: (laughs) (laughs) All the wine. (laughs) All conveniently in one glass.
0: Cat ownership is hearing a single soft clink from across the house and yelling, get away from the butter. (laughs) (laughs) In our case, it's, it's the side of the couch. I can hear the claw hit the side of the couch and I yell, Corey, Corey. My my whole life is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Those guards at Buckingham Palace, you never knew. Coneheads, <laughs> all of them. Oh man. <laughs> And my favorite funny thing today is from Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is just wicked on Twitter. He is yeah. he is worth looking at Twitter. <laughs> Keep one thing from this room, and it's a picture of George Lucas in a room with Star Wars artifacts. And Mark Hamill's comment is George's wallet <laughs> Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, today's good feel story is all about kids and the power that they bring
2: there are a few things in this world more powerful than a child with a dream and in this week's on the road cbs's steve hartman shows us how a group of minnesota school kids used their dream to help their fellow classmates
1: at Glen lake elementary in hopkins minnesota recess is a mixed blessing on the one hand there's so much to do but on the other hand not everyone can do it
2: it just didn't seem fair that some kids were just left out and it's really sad to see other kids go through that they didn't look happy and recess is about having fun
1: Glen lake has a lot of students with physical disabilities but no wheelchair merry-go-round swings or any adaptive playground equipment whatsoever Come on in. which really bothered the kids in betsy julian's fifth grade class to the point where one day they asked her Why can't we just buy the equipment ourselves?
2: I said, do you know how much that
1: costs? It costs
2: a lot of money, $300,000.
1: $300,000, by her estimation. But the kids were undeterred. They started collecting spare change, then held a bake sale, printed flyers, and went door to door. Then they began cold calling businesses and even got restaurants to donate a portion of their profits. This went on for months until last week. (laughs) when they hit their goal. Boosh. We
2: were all very happy on the inside and on the outside. The smile on my face, I could say, was an ear to ear smile. <laughs> I was just really happy Oh, so that we made it.
1: Reese Riley says they work so hard. It was overwhelming to finally know a more inclusive playground would be coming. You're a good kid. Thanks. And as for the kids who'll benefit, they seem to appreciate the effort almost more than the result.
2: First time I set foot on this playground, I'm probably gonna start crying.
3: <laughs> From
2: seeing the effort that all the school has made.
1: Mrs. Julian couldn't agree more.
2: My future as an adult is bright knowing that this generation of students, of change makers, see something that needs fixing and they go for it head first the whole
1: thing. Head first and dive deep. What's our next step? After raising the 300,000, Mrs. Julian's class set a new goal to the ceiling and beyond. (laughs) They now hope to buy adaptive playground equipment for other schools in the district. Turning loneliness and isolation into child's play. Steve Hartman on the road in Hopkins, Minnesota.
2: It's, it's why I
1: still have faith in.: him. That's
2: right Love it. Yeah.
0: Today, today's semi-quarantine cocktail is called 911 Moving in Storage. It's a riff on the robber cocktail. You're going to need a dash of bitters to, yep, Florida people. Oh boy. 2 parts Scotch, one robbery in progress. That was hard, because robbery's hard. You're going to need a little sweet vermouth and a bright idea to call 911 to ask police to help them move <laughs> and catch a ride to the airport because they're going to go to New York for the weekend after they robbed this house. <laughs> You're going to need a maraschino cherry in there. Um, this couple had burglarized a family dollar earlier in the day. And, uh, the officers did help them move and gave them a ride to the Polk County pokey. (laughs) So just when I have faith in humanity, (laughs) kids that raise money for adaptive playgrounds. Um, I read a story about a couple who are thieves who call the police to help them lift heavy stuff that they're stealing. Faith in humanity, gone. (laughs) Gone. Guys, thank you today for being here. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for participating in a conversation that's out on the edge of what we do here. We're getting a little super financial, but I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you hanging in. I have the utmost gratitude for each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. We've got John Robertson here. Run toward the
1: roar.
2: See you
1: everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and
0: learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S K Y E team.com. Thanks again, and remember, you've always got friends at the corporate bartender.